The reading this morning can be found on page 999, and we're starting at Matthew chapter 27 at verse 62. They can be found on the Bibles in front of you. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate said. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Susan. Let me say, Christ is risen. Well, let's try that again. Christ is risen. That sounds a lot better. 
It's great to be in church. Let me just say, if you are standing up, there's a couple of seats just around the edges on either side, uh, if you want to grab a seat. But let us pray as we come and think about what that Bible reading that first, about the first days of the morning has to say to us. Father, Father, we thank you this morning. We do pray that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds to build faith and hope as we reflect on Jesus risen from the dead. We thank you for this great day in the year. We pray, come to us now by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think one of the most important capacities that we have as human beings is the ability to question reality. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind we are not like the animals in search of just the next meal. Uh, And that is one thing that defines us over and against all other existence. There's a very deep capacity to reflect on life and not just be driven by physical urges. We can question reality and our experience of what goes around us. And if you're familiar with the French Enlightenment thinker Voltaire, he had many wonderful things to say, although he wasn't the greatest friend of the Christian church, he still had some great things to say. Um, One of them was this, judge a man by his questions, not by his answers. And I think it's a very helpful thing to reflect on. I mean, anyone can parrot someone else's thinking, but it's the person who actually will think for themselves who actually has a depth about them. And to question is to engage with the world we know, with the God-given intelligence we've been created with. It's to think for yourself. Um, To not question is to not think, I would put it to you. Now, there's no doubt some questions are fairly trivial, banal, and some are just stupid. Um, And it's interesting the sort of stuff you'll find on the internet in terms of stupid questions asked. Here's one. Uh, On a microwave, if you push cook for 60 seconds, will it cook for one minute? I don't know if there's any people here who actually wondered that question, but anyway, the answer is yes. I want us to think about some more profound questions today than that. Um, Forbes Business Magazine, very well-known publication, uh, has a large internet presence. It published a year, a few years back, 35 questions that can change your life. 35 questions that can change your life. And most of the questions revolved around your perspective Uh, and getting you to think about who you are in relationship to your experiences and where you are in life and where you're heading. Um, And they had some great questions. Here's one good question. Why don't you do the things you know you should be doing? It's a good question to ask. In other words, all of us know there's things that we should do, aren't there? Uh, The question is, why actually aren't we doing them? Stop and reflect on that for a while. I've got a more important question than any of those 35 questions that the Forbes business magazine put out. It's a very simple question. Uh, It didn't appear on the list. Wasn't surprised by that. It was aimed at a business audience. Uh, They would probably deem it a religious question. I'd say, yes, it is a religious question, but it's far bigger than that. Uh, It's a question that, if answered in the affirmative, actually affects everything and all reality. It's a very simple question. Uh, It's the question of, what if Jesus bodily rose from the dead? Now, you might look at that question and go, is it really that significant? Have a think about it. And I want us to think about what the answer to that question might be and importantly, what the implications of that question might be for us personally today. Because I want to say up front, if that question is answered in the affirmative, that Jesus rose bodily from the dead, then everything changes. And I do mean everything. 
because you're now engaging with a person who has complete authority over life and death, who has gone into death and come out of death and is alive again and continues to live to this day. It says that there is life after death. It says that heaven and hell are real. It says, importantly, Jesus is Lord of all. Uh, It actually affects how you live. It will affect everything if Jesus rose from the dead. And at the end of the day, if Jesus rose from the dead you actually have to listen to him and all that he said. And it's worth saying, if he didn't rise from the dead, then you don't need to listen to him at all. In fact, what we're doing here today is a complete sham. So what if Jesus actually rose from the dead? That's what we're going to think about. And if you've got your Bibles there, do have them open. Uh, It's Matthew chapter 27 and 8 that we're going to go through today. And what I want us to do is kind of enter into the narrative that Matthew takes us on that first Easter morning. But to get there, we need to go back a couple of days and just establish a couple of key things. Firstly, the first thing to note, and all the Gospel writers tell us this, Jesus was dead and buried. I'm going to read from Matthew 27, verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Interestingly, all four Gospels in their record of the Easter story, the life, death, and the resurrection, record that Joseph was the one who buried Jesus. Now, each of the four Gospels and their writers have differences, and they give us some extra information. There's some extra stuff here that the others don't have, and it's because they've all got their own personal eyewitness accounts that they're working from. But what they all say is Joseph was the one who came. And he went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. We're now on the Friday afternoon late. Jesus took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he'd cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. We're going to come back to the Marys a bit later. But one of the features of the Gospel records is this. All of them tell us that Joseph came and buried him. And it's worth saying this fact, and I use the word fact of Jesus' death, is well attested, not just amongst Christian writers, but in the ancient Roman world. And you can look at the Jewish writer, Josephus, not a great friend of the Christian church, he records this event of Jesus' death. Uh, You can look at Tacitus, a Roman writer, he records in his writings the death of Jesus, and there are others. No one denies that he died. It's just a fact of history. And if you don't believe this fact, you won't believe any facts about ancient history, to be honest. It's that well attested. And so Jesus is dead and buried. And it's worth saying, in terms of the belief structure of that day, I sometimes think that people think that people were kind of very open to the idea of resurrection. And so you have this story or myth that develops. Uh, Let me just say, within the Jewish world from which this story arose, no one thought that there would be a resurrection within history. No one. It just was not part of their worldview. The Pharisees, which were a part of the Jewish people, they thought there would be a resurrection and it was spoken of in the Old Testament, but it was absolutely at the end of the age. Not within history, it's at the end of history. And so when Jesus is dead and buried, all the hopes of the early church 
And the disciples really, I shouldn't use the word church because it hadn't formed but, uh, by then, uh, but the disciples, are, they're dead and buried. Because in their thinking, the Messiah doesn't suffer and die. And so for Jesus to suffer and die meant he had lost. It's all over. Uh, they basically were packing their bags. They were getting ready to go back to the country in Galilee. Uh, it'd be like going back up to Dubbo, I say, and uh, resume normal service as fishermen and the other jobs they did. It was all over in their minds. That's the first thing we note. Secondly, Matthew records that the tomb was empty. We read on, and we're on the Saturday here, verse 62, the next day. It's the one after preparation day. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, speaking of Jesus, said, after three days I'll rise again. And so uh, the religious leaders of the day are aware enough to know that Jesus had spoken personally that he would rise again. And on numbers of occasions in the Gospels, you see him saying, I will suffer, I will die, on the third day I'll rise. Now that information was publicly available. He'd spoken to them personally that... He would, the temple would be destroyed and in three days I'll rebuild it. He was speaking about his own body at that point. And they're thinking, not that Jesus is going to rise again, but that someone might go and steal the body to kind of fulfill this self-prediction that, as Matthew records, that deceiver said. So Pilate grants them permission to have guards set on the tomb. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure, they asked, until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. So they're, just, they're, they're meaning well. They want to kind of stop any of this deception getting out. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And I think what was taken there was the temple guard at that point. So they went out and made the temple secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. That's Saturday. Uh, these are professional guards, very able to deal with any insurrectionists, people who might come and want to steal the grave, the body. And let me say, that was not an uncommon thing for a body to be stolen uh, because of the value of the grave clothes and the spices that were embalmed with it. And so they go and make secure the tomb. And a seal is placed on it and the guards are there. And then we record Easter Sunday, the day really that changed everything. 28 verse 1, let's read on. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. And what took place on that first Easter morning is that the tomb was empty. For those who are interested in scholarly opinions from a historical point of view. Uh, it's worth noting that the one thing that Christian and non-Christian historical scholars agree on typically is this, uh, the tomb was empty. It's a historical fact. And you will hear people who don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the risen son of God, but they will say yes, and these are, if I can say, serious scholars, PhDs, they'll say yes, the tomb was empty. That's a fact that is recorded in history. 
And it's worth noting that. They may have different beliefs about why the tomb was empty, but that it was empty is not disputed. And it's worth noting that today, to this day, the tomb is still empty. No body has ever been found, no bones ever dug up. Well, that's the second thing. Jesus was dead and buried. Secondly, the tomb he was buried in was empty. Thirdly, eyewitnesses saw him rise from the dead. The angel continued on, he's not here, he's risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now, I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. So they go and look and they see firsthand, yes, it is empty. And really the stone being rolled away was not to let Jesus out. He's kind of standing there waiting for the tomb to kind of, when's it going to open? I mean, Jesus was gone, okay? Um, And we know later he was able to walk through walls in his resurrection body. He's gone. The stone is rolled open so that they can go in and go, oh, he's not there. And that's what they do. Now, at this point, it's worth saying, I think they're just confused. There's fear. Because you put yourself in, your sh- in their shoes. You've seen him go in dead and all of a sudden it's empty. What, and, and you haven't got a belief that people get resurrected. That's not part of your worldview. So you're thinking, where is he? And you've heard the angel say, and you're thinking, oh, well, I've just seen an angel. Um, that'd be big enough for me. Um, he's risen. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. They, what on earth is going on? And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus meets them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. They're just overwhelmed. They're on their knees. And I imagine there'd be tears, there'd be joy. And the word that's used is worship. We'll come back to that a bit later. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. In other words, it's me. I'm alive. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they'll see me. And when it says brothers, I don't think it means just the 11, because we know he went and saw the 11 privately. Uh, There were 10, and then Thomas came, party the week after. Uh, I think this is the 500 that he's referring to. And they would have been followers, and there's numbers of them who came. And they were down in Jerusalem, and they go back to Galilee. And we heard in the reading that Scott gave at the start of the service that There's a list of people who were the official witnesses and Paul says, and there were 500 others who also saw him, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, some have died by the time Paul wrote it. And you see, he's saying, go and tell the others, I'm going to be at Galilee and you're all going to see me. And just stop and think about this. Um, Some people have wondered, are these records hallucinations? Let me just say... That is a lot of simultaneous hallucinating going on for 500 people to have the same hallucination. Like, from a phenomenological point of view, it just doesn't happen. The details speak of absolute credibility of documentation and of eyewitness experience. There are differences in the Gospels which, for me, they're not contradictory, they're complementary. And they speak of a rawness of eyewitness account. And I say this every year, 
The fact that the women were the first to discover Jesus risen from the dead was slightly embarrassing in that day because they weren't considered the most reliable witnesses. So if you're going to make a story up, you wouldn't put females, and let me just say, no disrespect to the women here, don't believe it myself, but it was the belief in that day and age. But think further with me about these women in particular. These are not just some women. Matthew doesn't say, look, there was a couple of people who saw him. He says, actually, no, who was it that saw him? Well, it was those two Marys, wasn't it? And they're not just anyone. This is Mary Magdalene, and this is Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Now, you know Jesus had a stepbrother or half-brother? What was his name? James. So who are we talking about here? Jesus' mother and Mary Magdalene. And note how many times they saw him. And this is significant. See, Matthew says, uh, they were the ones, 27 verse, chapter 27, verse 56, they were the ones that witnessed the crucifixion and they saw him die. Uh, Matthew 27, 61, they were the ones that witnessed Joseph bury Jesus in the tomb and roll the stone to secure it. Uh, they were the ones who witnessed the, the grave was empty. And they're the ones who first saw him alive. In other words, they saw him die, they saw him buried, they saw him risen. You can kind of imagine that you might hear them saying, Christ was dead, Christ was buried, Christ is risen. And that that became a creed. Couldn't you? Exactly what Paul wrote, didn't he? And it made me think, that's probably where 1 Corinthians 15 first originated from. That reading, because that reading, 1 Corinthians 15 dates back to within two years of this event in terms of an oral tradition. And I was thinking about it, I think this is where it came from because they were the women who saw him dead, buried, risen. And they witnessed it. That's just a little aside for you. Let me also note this. Uh, if you want to write an essay and have credibility for it, and not just be seen to sprout your own ideas, uh, you'll have to put footnotes in, won't you? And you'll reference your ideas. It's what we do in terms of modern literature work to establish our case. This is why I believe this is so, and we footnote. Now, in that day and age in the ancient world, they didn't have footnotes. Uh, the way they footnoted historical events was through the people who witnessed it. And that was part of how ancient documentation took place. Because what they were saying was, if you want to find out if I'm telling the truth, go and talk to them. And these are not unknown people, these are very well-known people, the two Marys. Go and talk to Mary, she'll tell you, she was there, she saw him die, she saw the tomb, she saw him go in, buried, she saw the tomb empty and she saw him risen from the dead. And let me just say, uh, the second historical fact that no one doubts in terms of serious historians is this, no one doubts that the early disciples believed that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Uh, note the language I'm using, no one doubts that the early disciples believed they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Uh, and people who are sceptics will say, well I'm not quite sure what actually did happen but I can say they believed they saw him risen from the dead. You see, because as soon as you say they did see him risen from the dead, there's implications out there. <laughs> you say this is true, this is real, this is history. 
But they cannot deny from a historical point of view that there were people there in the first century who actually believed they saw him risen from the dead. Now you've got to ask the question, why did they believe they saw him risen from the dead? Good question to ask, isn't it? Uh, New Testament scholar Tom Wright speaks of the facts of Jesus' resurrection. And the first two are the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances. But there's a third one. And we read on in Matthew 28 to the end of the chapter in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them. And so he comes to this crowd in Galilee. We'll come back to the actual verses where they meet him. And he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm the risen Lord now. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I just want you to think about those verses in relationship to us being here today. Why are we here today? I know that's a stupid question at one level to ask, but but I want you to think deeper about why are we here today? I'll give you my own story. I'm here today because I came to realise that Jesus was risen from the dead and was the Lord of all back in 1984 on October the 17th. Because someone spoke to me about it. Now, you can trace that chain of events, literally, all the way back to Jesus. Within Australian history, Richard Johnson was the first chaplain who came out from England to preach the resurrection of the dead and that Jesus was alive. And he was the first official spokesperson for the gospel with the Anglican Church. And you go all the way back in history and you'll come to a group of people who are saying, this Galilean peripatetic teacher who wandered Israel is not just some teacher and holy man and miracle worker. He's actually the risen Lord. And in these verses, he commissions them to go to the world. And we're here today as a fulfillment of these verses. Now, what am I saying? Um, The only reason we're here is because something happened. And the last fact of history is the existence of the church. You see, you've got to ask the question, where do we come from? We're all over the world. Next week, Africa descends on St. Matthew's and brings joy and noise and excitement. It's going to be great. Afrofest. You see, the gospel is universal. It has gone everywhere. How did we come into being... It's because this Jesus rose from the dead. Tom Wright, who is a bishop, scholar, historian, wrote these. Uh, N.T. Wright's his uh, official name. These three great facts, the resurrection appearances, the empty tomb and the origin of the Christian faith. In other words, the story of the early church, which goes all the way to today, all point unavoidably to one conclusion, the resurrection of Jesus. Today... And I love it, he's British, so he's he's understated, okay? Uh, The rational man can hardly be blamed if he believes that on the first Easter morning a divine miracle occurred. Now, do you hear what he's saying? If you're thinking clearly and rationally about this, without prejudice, you'll come to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead. And Tom would say there's no other rational way to explain the evidence of history. So what if Jesus was raised from the dead? Let me come back to that question. 
Well, it's interesting, in the passage here, there's three responses. The first is denial, and I see this often for many people, people, uh, and you'll see this often at Easter time, people write articles, that they'll want to deny the facticity of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And you'll hear different things. He didn't actually die. His body was stolen by disciples. He, uh, they were hallucinating, etc., etc. There's been lots of theories through history to try and explain away this reality. Now, it's interesting. They go right back to the resurrection itself. Have a look at verse 11 to 15. While the women were on their way, in other words, they're rushing off to tell the good news, uh, some of the guards, well, what do they do? Because phew, they've just seen the tomb empty. Uh, they go into the city and report to the chief priest everything that's happened. It's like, oh, blimey, we're in trouble now. Tomb's empty, he's gone. Chief priest, um, okay, it's like, I couldn't help but think it was like probably Cricket Australia a week ago, crisis meeting. <laughs> they meet together, they've got to devise a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money and they tell them this, okay, here's, here's the story. Um, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Got it? Okay? Everyone on the same page here? Now, I don't know what happened over in South Africa with the cricket. Uh, I don't want to impugn anything there, but you can just imagine what happened this day. We've got to get the story straight. So, the soldiers took the money and did as they instructed, and this story has been widely circulated amongst the Jews to this very day. So, the religious leader's response to the testimony of the guards is what? And I want you to put yourself in their shoes. Firstly, the guards. You've now seen the tomb empty. You've guarded it all night. What's the question you're going to ask? What's the question you should ask? Well, what is it? Well, the question is, what happened? Where is he? Maybe these rumours are true. I mean, that's the question you, you think people would ask, isn't it? You think about the leaders. They know that he'd spoken about rising in three days, hadn't they? That's why they put the guards there. What do you think they should have asked? Maybe this is true. But what do they do? Quick, let's shut the story down. I often say, seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. And what I mean by that is, uh, it's funny how you can show people stuff, and you might see this stuff, if I can say, see it, but you won't believe it. Because you see, believing is seeing. In other words, our, our worldview, how we construct reality in our own mind, actually affects how we see. And so if we say there is no God, there is no such thing as a resurrection, there are no miracles... My experience of life has been that that never happened, so therefore QED, it must not happen, which is not logical, but I won't go into that now because just because you haven't experienced doesn't mean you can't experience it. Um, but our worldview stops us from seeing because believing is seeing. And that's exactly what happens. How on earth could this man be the Messiah? Dead people don't rise in history. But yet the facts were before them to investigate and they just denied it. And I wonder if that's you today. And I'm really glad everyone's here today. And I know on a day like today, there's some who just can't wait to get in the building. There's others who maybe have been invited along. Sometimes I know there's some people who get dragged along. And anyway, if that's you, I'm glad you're here. And I just want to say, is this not compelling enough and significant enough a question to stop and ask again, what really happened? And if that's you, um, let me say, I've, got a look. I, I've been there and I tried to dismiss this stuff, but the evidence was too compelling. 
as I read the gospel for myself, and I invite you to take one of these as you leave, if that's you, and read it for yourself and make up your own mind. But judge it fairly. Don't dismiss it to say this couldn't happen because miracles aren't possible and dead people don't rise. But rather assess it on the basis of the evidence itself. So that's the first thing to know. But the other response, and it's such a contrary response and powerful, as soon as they see him, they're just on their knees in worship. That's why they're grabbing the feet, because they're down on their knees. And you see, that's why this day is the greatest day in history, that we stop and celebrate each year, because we are remembering that he rose from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, death was defeated. And when death was defeated, sin was overcome. The devil himself was triumphed over. And there is life after death. There is hope into eternity. There is forgiveness of sins. There is meaning and purpose in life. And there is a Lord over us who calls us to follow him and learn from him and be his person in the world. You see, what if Jesus rose from the dead? Well, everything changes. And it's a joyful reality to discover. But you see also there's a third response, which is doubt. And in verse 17, it says, while some believed and worshipped, others doubted. Some doubted. And the word to doubt there, if I can use this word, it's the sense of hesitation. Um, To doubt is not to be an unbeliever. It's to be caught between belief and unbelief. And there's the sense of which they're stopped in their tracks and they're going, this just doesn't make sense. I I can see him. (laughs) I believe it, but I'm struggling to believe it. And they hesitate. And I've got a lot of sympathy for them. Because from a human point of view, it's outside of our experience of life. And if you're in that case, in that category, let me just encourage you to, again, pick up the story and read for yourself. I'd encourage you, we've got people who'd love to read with you, to just read through John's Gospel. And if you'd like to do that, let us know on the Connect card. But let me finish by concluding with what I believe. Friends, history declares the tomb is still empty. History has never found any bones or body. I believe Jesus conquered the grave that day. And with that, brought eternity into reality for all of us. I believe he's alive this day. He rose from the dead that day before he ascended to heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, where he rules all things and all people. Friends, it was witnessed personally by over 500 people in that day. It was recorded factually in numerous documents of the day, including Matthew's Gospel that we're reading. And it's been experienced historically and experientially in the lives of billions who have received the spirit of the risen Christ into their own hearts and minds so that we know Christ ourselves personally. And that's what I've come to know. I don't have all the answers regarding questions of suffering and evil in relation to God, and there are many. And I won't go into my own personal stories and the issues I've had to grapple with, and I'm sure there are many here today. And so there are things I don't understand about why God acts the way he does at times and why he allows things to take place that do take place. But this I do know, Jesus is alive, and he is the one who's given all authority and calls us to come to him and to be his followers, to be saved and forgiven, to be taught and remade, to be sent and to be used, and to take the news of this victory to the furthest points of the globe. Church, the great news today is Christ is risen. Do I have an amen? Amen. 
Christ is risen. He's risen indeed, isn't he? It is a wonderful day to remember this great truth. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We're going to stop and pray. And I just want to give you a moment to be quiet and respond. And so you might just want to bow your head and just have a time to think and to pray and respond to the Lord Jesus now. And I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen for those who may want to come to him afresh this day. The risen Lord Jesus. Because what if Jesus rose from the dead? Well, he's here today with us, risen and victorious and speaking to us by his spirit. Let's just have a moment to be quiet and then I'm going to pray this prayer you'll see on the screen. If you'd like to join me, I'll invite you to in about 30 seconds. And if you'd like to pray this prayer of response to the risen Lord Jesus this day and receive him as your Lord, pray with me and I'll pray quietly, I'll pray slowly, the words on the screen, just pray along with me. Dear Lord Jesus, today I believe you rose bodily from the dead. I come to you in faith. I receive you as my Lord. Forgive me my sins. Take control of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In your name. Amen. And friends, if that was you this morning, please do let us know on the Connect card. Uh, let me say the offer of... The Gospels are up the back. Scott's going to come bearing a few other things to say shortly, but we're going to stand and respond in song.